Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sounds. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to Sound, sound Matters. <laughs> You're listening to Sound Matters, a podcast brought to you by B&O Play. My name is Tim Hinman, and we're going to start today by going underwater. Oh, and if you're not wearing headphones, by the way, then maybe you should be. It's all about immersion for the next few minutes. My name's Jessica Reed. Um, I have lived most of my life in Southeast Asia, having always lived on an island, you know, right next to the ocean. Diving is like a natural uh, hobby for me. So I was on a 10-day dive trip on a boat. And so we'd just come to a beautiful island just off Bohol, which is near the island of Cebu in the Philippines. It's a very clear, hot day, so there isn't much wind or waves or anything like that. We can hear the chugging of the engine, and we're just chatting away happily. We only went about 15 to 20 metres that dive. The thing that I can't determine is whether I felt it or heard it first, but my, my memory, I heard it first. We were just thinking of coming up and then this noise happened, like this really loud, it sounded like a really, really loud and powerful engine. rumble a, ru- a really loud rumble and I thought shit what is that so we looked up and around and I thought there's a boat that's coming at like coming and then it got louder and louder and then I thought okay this boat is massive where is it it was like there was an oil tanker on top of us like like speeding through the water at like really fast pace and it just kept coming and then got louder and louder and more intense. And as that happened, you know, the vibrations within your body were really, really strong as well. So it felt like in your bones, like shaking, shaking thunderous noise in your bones and all around you to the point where your all our other senses were just completely thrown off. But we couldn't move. We were stock still. And we just held hands and looked at each other. And then I thought, oh, maybe it's dynamite fishing because it's like we're being bombed. Like, it, it's like explosions. I've, like, I've never heard anything like this. This must be like a war zone, you know? So I was thinking maybe they're bombing the reef. The sand was moving and everything was kind of flowing and think like the ground was moving, fish were swimming everywhere. So I was kind of thinking something's happening to the ground. It's being destroyed or something so I can't explain it wasn't like you have cartoons where it's like the ground is cracking open it wasn't like that but there were cracks in in the in the seabed and the sand was kind of being sucked into it so everything was in motion on the seabed and then we saw this turtle like swim really really fast past us and normally they're like really slow animals and they're very like 
they don't get that close. So I think that kind of broke the tension of the moment and then and then everything stopped. It felt like really weirdly normal and safe, like almost immediately. It was clear that it was okay immediately. It was really weird. It was just still and beautiful again and everything was normal again. And we just swam around and looked for our friends and we found our friends and we were all just staring at each other like what the hell is going on like wild eyes in the goggles and then we just slowly ascended and then when we got to the surface our heads popped up and we were like immediately regulators out what the hell's that we didn't know what it was until we surfaced and spoke about it and heard the news we didn't know what it was we found out that it was a really quite big earthquake i think at eight um, on the Richter scale, right under the hole, which was where we were diving. So we were really in the epicenter of it when it happened. Jessica's underwater earthquake experience that you've just heard there goes to show that when you're underwater, everything about sound and listening is very different. It's a different kettle of fish, you might say which is, of course, a very tenuous link to the main part of the show, which is called The Voice of Cod and concerns, to some degree, fish. Now, you may or may not like fish, but that really isn't the point. What we're going to do today is find out more about the underwater soundscape, and we're going to meet two guests, one of whom is an artist who sings, and another is a scientist who listens. We're going on two very different boat trips, one in Norway to meet some humpback whales with some very cheap homemade gadgets designed to help a singer sing underwater, and another one in England, somewhere in the Bristol Channel, which is starting here in the background. That's Sound Matters own roving reporter, Andrea Rangecroft, who's come on board to meet this man. Yeah, my name is Dr. Steve Simpson. I'm an associate professor of marine biology and global change at the University of Exeter. Dr. Steve Simpson. He's a man who spends a lot of his time listening to fish. I now spend a lot of my time listening to the ocean, to, partly to understand the behaviour of fish. As Jessica found out while diving during an underwater earthquake, a lot of noise under the water can be very confusing and frightening for people. What Dr. Steve Simpson is finding out is that all the unnatural noise we humans add to the water is also confusing and frightening for fish. His research concerns listening to the fish when they talk or make noise. And it's about asking what on earth the fish might be listening to. So we just ask the question, really, could they be listening to their environment? Because it's the animals that live in a local habitat that make the noise. So it's very much like uh, if you're a small fish trying to pick which reef you want to live on, it would be like moving to a new city and Googling the different suburbs to work out where you'd like to live. You can remotely find out about that neighbourhood by listening to it. 
some of the early Navy recordings were becoming declassified. So we, for the first time, could listen to what the underwater world really sounded like. So it ended up with my PhD being taken much more towards acoustics, which was a very young uh, discipline, bioacoustics underwater. And so really that's where we started trying to decode these underwater environments. So you can see yeah. how this detects pressure. Banging at your finger there. So yeah, and that's just the sound of my hand on, on the cable as I lower it down. Let's leave Andrea and Steve lowering their fancy hydrophone into the water and meet our next guest. <laughs> this is Kru Bagoyen. My name is Kru Bagoyen. Now, Gru is not your regular, everyday sort of singer. She's also an artist and she makes her art with her voice in all sorts of ways. I'm educated in media art and I work with the sound art and make pop music. And I'm a singer. She's also very much into singing to unusual audiences and recording the results. I don't like so much humans. I like quite a lot of everything else. I think that's the, that's the fucking problem. <laughs> Um, I've been singing with other animals and plants, and then I thought, then it's now the whales. But I found out that there's different kind of um, groups of, of humpback whales, and they don't all go south and then they go north. They're like, how you say, areas where a certain group goes, and then they also have a certain song or sound. So Gru made up her mind that now she wanted to try and sing to and hopefully with a few whales. And there she came across her first problem. How on earth was she going to do that? I wanted to sing with the whales. Actually, I wanted to go underwater and I was thinking to come in a bubble or something like that. And then I thought, I have no much. I don't have that budget. So how do I get my voice underwater? And how do I record them and me at the same time? Um, so I so I put my own shoe into a um, condom. Take one ordinary singer's microphone, stick it in an ordinary condom, and drop it into the water. You just made yourself a hydrophone. I really love this mic, so I was really a little bit sad about putting it into this condom and putting it into the harbour. But the sound was really good. It was really, really good. So I was like, I have to see now that the, I can really get this good sound out of the condom and the mic. Maybe I should see if there is just a possibility to find a really cheap underwater speaker. So a cheap underwater speaker and a microphone stuck in a condom and Gru was all set to record herself singing to whales underwater, leading to her next problem. Where do you find some whales to sing to? Meanwhile, Andrea and Dr. Steve Simpson have started listening to the water somewhere in the Bristol Channel. But, like any fishing trip, it may take some time before you catch a fish. So I'm hoping that we'll hear some fish down underneath. Often a lot, uh, fish will congregate under floating boats, under jetties and things. It is, so we can hear a boat quite loud at the moment. Okay, yeah, we've got the ferry. Here's the ferry just about to come past us as if by magic, so 
The ferry's probably now about uh, 30 meters away and you can hear it very loud. So for fish that have uh, obviously evolved to live in quite quiet conditions and to depend on sound as a cue for, uh, for communication, these are much more intense sounds than any animals will be producing. So it really would be like, you know, suddenly being exposed to a thunderstorm or, you know, a loud rock concert having always lived in the desert. Boat engines are noisy, but there's worse things happening at sea. When offshore wind farms are constructed or when a bridge or a harbour is being built, you then get pile driving, which is a real thumping, crank, kind of cranking noise where these piles are driven into the seabed. And it sounds like this. This is a recording from about 700 metres away in Swansea Bay. And that you would hear for probably 100 kilometres with a hydrophone. So it really um, fills the ocean soundscape. Fish, when they make noise, are making it for a whole range of reasons. And these are really life-critical moments. So it could either be to uh, detect a predator or um, to warn other shoalmates of a predator or to find food or particularly during reproduction. And so if we add noise into the equation, it starts to mask this natural um, soundscape that the fish are, are depending upon. And if you imagine you're a fish trying to attract your mate, you've got this perfect love song you've been working on for months, and now's your chance and someone starts hammering away in the background, you can see that the moment can be lost. In experiments either in the ocean or, or in laboratory conditions where we've played these sounds to fish, we've found that it increases their heart rate. Even when they're eggs, um, we can see the embryonic heart rate increasing um, and we see that it increases their respiration rate, so the beating of the gills. We see it increases their metabolic rate, so their uptake of oxygen from the water. And then over longer periods of time, we've done experiments where we've played back some of these noises around nests and found that it affects the ability of the parents to bring through the next generation. Um, so it really obviously has these um, direct fitness consequences for fish. The nearest whales crew could find live in the seas around Norway, in the far, far north. So crew took a trip to Tromsø. Tromsø is so north of Norway that the sun doesn't come up. When she got there, she had to find a boat and someone who'd take her out to meet the whales. The man she met had an odd name. His name is Art, and he lives out there in, in Tromvik. And I mean, it's a beautiful morning, and we come to his little boat. It's a little, little sailing boat, and uh, he seems quite nice. Odd, the retired fisherman and now whale watcher. The sky is clear, the weather is still, the water is still, everything is perfect. We sail out and it doesn't take long, then we start already to see the first uh, humpback whales. And I'm like, ah, ah, can I get... No, no, we have to get into the fjord. Okay, so I think, okay, I just, I just go for it. I just go out and sing to them because uh, <laughs> now I'm here. And I stand up in, the, in front of the boat. I mean, there's ice everywhere, it's fucking cold. And then these uh, 
huge animal starts to come around the boat. I'm like singing and singing and singing all words and all kind of tones I can imagine they would like. And then the first whale is reacting. And it's like this really deep sound. I think it is very macho. This he comes like with his, uh, you know, this hole they have there where they breathe out in the back. He can somehow trumpet through that hole, so he starts to go. <laughs> I don't know, fuck, how he does. It is, it's singing with me. And then, Wales interrupts us. <clears throat> but then, of course, the the condom breaks. Meanwhile, back in the Bristol Channel, Andrea and Simon are still waiting for a bite. Time to tell some old fish tales. Three years ago, we were working on the Great Barrier Reef, and we heard this sound that we hadn't heard before. And it was a kind of whooping, whoop, 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 sort of sound. Well, I was just baffled as to what the sound was, where it was coming from, and, and probably overlooked the Ambon damselfish, this really common species, looking for some you know, bizarre new fish that must be hiding in the crevices, making this incredible sound. And so we think that this is a fish that, in a very noisy, naturally noisy environment, is developing a different sound which gets it heard over the background of everything else. You know, as, a, as an animal, if you want to make yourself heard in a noisy environment, you do something different. So this is the sound of a coral reef, where you'll hear the snapping trim, but then on top, so on top of that crackling sound from the snapping trim, you've then got fish communicating with each other, and they'll be making a range of popping and croaking and chirping sounds. So did you hear that? And, and in the background, actually, in that one, you can hear some of the whoop, whoop, whoop sounds. So if you listen again, There's the croaking sounds. It's interesting. I think maybe they they think it's weird, too weird to have voices on the water because when I sing on top of the water, they somehow come and lay. Normally they you only see the tails all the time because they're eating and eating, but you can somehow get them laying like in a line in front of the boat. And they, I'm, I mean, I'm really sure they're listening. And then I'm, I'm singing and singing and I'm really, I never sang so loud. I mean, you just have these fjord mountains around you and there's no one else. Me and the whales, that's what I'm thinking. I'm just giving it everything. And then I, look, I turn around and Art is standing there and he's crying. <laughs> I mean, it's really touching. It's just, you just feel so, um, it was so beautiful. I mean, this old fisherman who broke his arm and decided to do whale watching. Yeah, that was really, really touching. And then the whale go away and the, the darkness comes and we decide to go back home. I promised you cod at the beginning of this show, and cod you shall have, because cod is the species Dr. Steve Simpson has been listening to most acutely, and for a very good reason. 
COD are able to alter their song in lots of different ways. So partly it can be to do with the dominant frequencies, how deep is the sound. But often with fish, the depth of sound directly relates to the size of the fish. And size matters with fish, so they're really interested in these big deep sounds from the male. Um, but what the male can also do is to change the patterns of sound. So you can have staccato sound, bup, 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 deep kind of thumping sounds, or you can have longer kind of purring brrr, or chirping sounds. Now cod return to their native spawning grounds year after year, which means that genetically cod are quite segregated into these different subpopulations. And when you listen to the uh, calls, the, the, the sounds that these cod make in different populations, you realise that they're different. And so probably this is really just um, over generations, the song, the traditional local song has gone off in different directions in the same way that, you know, different um, communities will have their local songs, their local sea shanties and things. Uh, the cod have the same, same thing going on. Crew's micro-budget ran out after a single whale-hunting trip on Odd the Fisherman's boat. But she was determined not to let that stop her. She set about finding a place where she could reach them from the land. To try and see if one can do the same from land, because I just have to get it underwater, the, the sound will travel. With a tiny portable studio in a suitcase and a new condom on the microphone, this was to be Cruz's next shot at singing with the whales from a remote beach in a Norwegian fjord. So I'm deciding I really have to listen now and I have to be calm because it's important that I somehow get into the, I would say, mind of the whale. So I'm sitting there really calm. <laughs> then I take headphones on and I, I nearly say just one tone and then the first <laughs> comes. I mean, I, I, it's such a chill to get this uh, to get this sound, but I have all the time in having this. Um, I think it's it's seaweed, but I found out it's not. There's like this attacking on the on the microphone that's in the water, like and then and me It's it's really stressful, and then I'm like, okay, this doesn't work. There's something on it. Is it an animal attacking it, or what is it? So I'm walking out, and of course I fall. I get totally wet, it's ice cold. <laughs> ah, new clothes on. And I get some really nice, uh, long, slow communication with the. After I sang some songs, I'm like uh, trying out like, okay, what is the state of being that is most, how do you say, um, without too much thought. I think they would like that, but I'm not sure. But I will say, and then I'm like, okay, this, uh, you hungry? You have sex? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of these, uh, how is it, pure big emotions or whatever I call them. And then I say, okay, I just try, I go for sex. <laughs> then I try. <laughs> and uh, so I go like, oh. <laughs> and then there comes this, uh, there comes some response and it's a little bit, I'm getting a little bit like, hope it doesn't come too close because this is a little bit weird. I mean, there's a reaction also there. 
And when I'm listening back to it, I'm like, I'm a little shy, I must say. I'm not even sure if I want to show it. Because <clears throat> my voice is definitely much more sexual than the whale, but <laughs> at least the whale is reacting. Ah, uh, fuck, man. But interesting. <laughs> Yes, indeed, things are getting hotter, but not necessarily in a good way. We know that the waters are warming around the UK and around Europe, which is forcing fish species to move further northwards. And as they do this, it's reorganizing local communities of fish. So it's likely to be mixing populations of cod that have been historically quite segregated. So if if the male has a particular song that he needs to sing to impress the female for her to release her eggs, um, and then suddenly you've got these different uh, um, populations being mixed together, um, what we don't know is whether that will have an effect on reproduction. So that's what we're trying to do at the moment, to try and characterise what the, the local love songs of these cod are at their spawning grounds, to see how much divergence there is. So if it's different areas of the country, what does a, what does a scouse cod sound like? A, a cod from Liverpool? <laughs> yeah, so a scouse cod, I mean, we're only just at the moment starting to take all our recordings apart. Uh, we know that certainly there are big differences between the American cod and the, and the northeast Atlantic cod around Europe. Uh, the regional dialects, um, we uh, are only at the moment putting our listening stations down around these spawning grounds. So I'm going to have to... Uh, Come, you have to come back to me on that one. But my guess is, knowing Scouse, knowing I studied in Liverpool, studied marine biology, it's likely to be um, full of song. It's probably got three-part harmony if the Beatles have any influence, and it's likely to be a great song. And then we drive and drive and drive and it's snowing and windy. But then we find this uh, bridge. So this bridge goes really far and there's some passing and stuff, but it seems abandoned and I'm like, I'm gonna go out there. This, this looks, I mean, just the image is beautiful. It's a bit snowy, but the water's still, and I can just dump in the mic. There's nothing touching it and the, 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 the speaker too. And it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful, clear sound, I think, because then I put my headphones on and then it's just, huge noise of um, machinery and I'm thinking it's it's the it's the fisherman boat and I can't see it but I can hear it and you can hear like inside this huge it's like a drone inside that drone sound of like mechanics and machinery I hear this really fine you know really and it's the herring and the the orca. And it's, it's it's really really beautiful.
Even in such remote places, the noise that we humans add to the waters all around us is really pretty obnoxious. We act like bad neighbors, putting our loudspeakers in the window and playing the radio at full volume all day and all night. And we don't even really realize what we're doing. Luckily, it's starting to sink in, and research like that from Dr. Steve Simpson could offer up some pretty simple solutions and give those cod a chance to sing their coddy love songs to each other in peace. So when we come to think about, say, how noise can affect spawning behaviour or nesting behaviour, we know that if there's a problem, we just have a month where we don't make our noise, where we don't pile drive. A lot of the work that we're doing where we're thinking about these anthropogenic human sources of noise, the reason to really consider them is because to manage them is easy, relatively speaking. Compared to most pollutants, think of global warming, ocean acidification, plastic, these sorts of problems that will be around for centuries to come. With noise we have an option within 10 minutes to turn the noise off. And that's all there's time for in this edition of Sound Matters. Editing and research was by Andrea Rangecroft. A huge thank you to Dr. Steve Simpson, to Jessica Reed, who we heard at the start, and of course, Gru Bagoyne for sharing her story of low-tech whale hunting, and of course, the music she made from those adventurous recordings. You can hear a lot more of her work if you check out her SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash gru, that's spelled G-R-Y, gru-music. Thanks to Nathaniel Buzinski at Bioplay for being the brains behind this operation, and thanks to Bioplay for making this podcast happen. You can visit the website at bioplay.com slash soundmatters. Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sound. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to sound. Sound matters.